All right, we're going to be continuing our series. Um, you can see on the screen, Sit, Walk, and Stand. It's our verse-by-verse study through the book of Ephesians. Um, and today we're going to be doing the second part of a mini-series inside of the book of Ephesians, is spiritual warfare. And we're going to be focusing on the second half of the spiritual armor that God provides for us. I just want to let you know that the Bible is very explicitly clear that we are not just in a walk of Christianity. You sometimes hear that. We call it Christianese when you speak Christian language, when we say, how's your walk with the Lord? It's actually closer uh, in representation in this verse as a war. And that's because the battle is real and the battle is definitely in scripture and the Bible doesn't shy away from it. And God provides for our victory uh, through his spirit. And so we want to look at see what God's call is for us to walk in that righteousness in the middle of a battle. But we can have encouragement and we can have faith because the battle belongs to the Lord. Amen. I'm good to hear you say that. So I just want you to join me in verse 10. We're going to continue where Pastor Ryan left off, but we're going to overlap a little bit so that we can connect all the dots between part one and part two. If you did miss part one, Pastor Ryan went over the first three uh, portions of the armor. And so I just encourage you, if you did miss it, go back and listen to it because it was excellent on his idea that the scripture is saying that we must fully rely on the Lord. That is a truth. I want you to see that again in verse 10. Verse 10 of chapter 6. It says, Finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against authorities and against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you've done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Um, I'm going to do this right now. We're going to stop and pray before we go through the rest of the service. I noticed that through the first two services of this weekend, um, because I think we're talking about spiritual warfare, that I think spiritual warfare has kicked up. We've had a lot of prayer requests for people that have been discouraged and in a battle. And I believe that the Lord is imparting this word for this place in this time. But let's prepare our hearts because the enemy definitely wants us to be distracted. But let's put everything away spiritually. Dear Heavenly Father, I'm just praying over our congregation. I'm praying over our hearts and our minds. They belong to you, but the enemy is wanting to attack. But we know that we need to be strong in you and your power. And so what we do is we lay down our week. We lay down our circumstances. We cast all of our cares on you. And we know that you will sustain us. So for those of us that are in a battle or for those of us that are praying for people that are in a battle, Lord, empower us. Fulfill us with your vision. Fulfill us with your equipment. Fulfill us with your, your, just your standard of success and victory, which is you. So we pray, Jesus, this is not a church service. This is a mission and this is a meeting to meet with our great Lord Almighty to you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, this is a very interesting text, and I love this text because it's all very visual and it's very powerful. But I want to let you know how, from a uh, pastor's perspective how this comes across. 
I always have the opportunity to pray with people who give their heart to the Lord for the first time. They'll come down and say, hey, we prayed with the pastor, and they're like, we're like, here's your Bible. Thank you for uh, being a part of the family of God, and it's so exciting. And they're so excited. You can see the joy in their face, and they're just gung-ho, and they're ready. And that's because they have this moment where they realize that even though that they have been um, given their heart to the Lord, and they've gained a Messiah, and they're escaping hell, they notice something else happens. They have gained a whole new family, and that's you, brothers and sisters in Christ. And they go, you know what's amazing? I came in here, and I was feeling lost, and I'm lonely, and now I realize that I'm a part of a whole new family who is experiencing the same thing I'm experiencing. And so they're all super excited, and that's really, really great. And then you just go, okay, let's wait a couple weeks, maybe two, three months, and then they come back, and they have this look on their face. And they're like, I didn't realize that Christianity was going to be so tough. And it's not that Christianity is tough. It's just that the enemy wants to attack the person who is attaching themselves to the Lord. And then they realize not only have they inherited a new family, they've inherited a whole new crop of enemies. And that's something that we have to be aware of because the Bible is telling us right here that you are going to be entering into battle. And sometimes it might not only just be like, okay, now I'm living for Christ and now there's some people who don't like it. The enemy is not excited about that. Just think about this particular thought. If Satan was operating in the kingdom of the world as is described in verse 12, that he may not have bothered with you because you've never bothered him. And so now for the first time, in your life and maybe in his existence with you, you have now committed a treasonous act. You have defected from the dark kingdom of this world and became a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. And thus begins the war. You have now committed treason against Satan and this world, and now the world is not happy with that. And so you have to understand that that is a very real thing that happens in a young Christian's life, is to understand this, is that as much as you've gained a whole new crop of Friends and family, you've now gained a whole new crop of enemies. And that is the issue. When we enter into a life of righteousness, we have now moved from a place of not being no longer self-centered. We are now God-centered. And just by living a God-centered life, you present conviction. Because you have to understand, even if you have a friend, and I know many of us do, a friend, neighbor, a family member, who is a good person, essentially, but does not love the Lord, your lifestyle, by putting God first, convicts them. And then there lies the battle, right? There, you don't have the same value system. You have, don't have the same common ground. You don't have the same goals, and you don't have the same hopes. And there comes the rub, right? Anybody who's ever entered into a great conversation, usually around Thanksgiving time, right? We all get together with family, and you're like, oh boy, here comes the argument, right? You know, what, whatever it may be. And it's usually, in some families, as I, as I talk to some of you, it's the Christians and the non-Christians, right? It's, it affects everything in their life. Why? Because Everything is under one kingdom or the other. Charles Spurgeon, who is really uh, one of the best preachers and has one of the awesomest lines, gave this one line to this young lady. There's a young lady. She was college age. She gave her heart to the Lord. She's super excited. And she turns to Spurgeon and said, okay, so how much of the world should I give up now that I'm a Christian? And he smirked and he looked back at her and he said, don't worry, the world's going to give you up. And that's a good thing. Because if we have lost our, if we've lost our place in the kingdom of a dark world, and now we are citizens of the kingdom of light, those don't exist. They don't coexist together. We are in a particular place where we understand this. You understand that light pierces the darkness. Darkness is not oppressive to light. 
Whenever you turn on a light in a room, it's not like darkness encroaches on the light. It is light that explodes and cuts through the darkness and thus causes that kind of a rough cut to the people that are living in that world. So that's why we want to make this important distinction in the scripture that we are not just in a walk, we are in a war. And if you've lived a relatively comfortable life before Christianity, it's always interesting to see when, they, when someone joins the Christian faith and follows Jesus Christ, they're like, wait a minute, this is not sunshine and roses and raindrops on whiskers and little kittens. This is, this is closer to a battle, and that's because the Bible says it's not just a walk, it's a war. I'm a nerd, and some of you guys already know this, and so you're going to get Lord of the Rings quotes. Um, so that today is no different. Um, in one of the books of Lord of the Rings, um, there was a King Theoden who was overseeing a kingdom, and uh, he was being presented with the fact that all of Middle Earth was going to war. And he was being advised by Aragorn, one of the main characters, you got to go to war. And he goes, I don't want to. I don't want to go to war. He's, he's saying, I, I'm, I'm really hesitant to go to war. And Aragorn says this, and I want you to consider this from the Bible. Open war is upon you whether you risk it or not. The enemy is coming for you whether you like it or not. You don't have a choice. And I want you to hear how the Bible describes that battle to look like. Look at verse 12 again. The first word in this that stands out there is for our struggle. Now, that word struggle is not battle. It's struggle like close quarter combat. Think of like two people in a knife fight. They're not standing far away. Sometimes we like to think of Christianity as I can pray and lob a bomb that's far over there. But that's not how the enemy fights. The enemy is in close quarter combat because the spiritual warfare that you're fighting is along the front lines. And so you have to understand this, and the Lord is saying this, and I want you to hear this for all of us Christian believers in the room. You are engaged at the battlefront because you and your faith are the battlefront. Your faith is the only place that the enemy can affect the kingdom of God. I want you to understand this. The enemy cannot defeat God. He knows that he cannot defeat God. Just go through the four Gospels. How many times did the enemy be possessed? I'm like, there was a demon-possessed person, and Jesus stood before them, and they said, no. They didn't go, we're going to defeat you, Jesus. They went, no, no, now's not our time, because they knew that Jesus has to say a word, and they're done. They, they would lose at a word from Jesus, not a battle, not a struggle, a word. So Jesus has complete control over the power, over the darkness, you know, in, the, in this realm. But we ourselves are locked in a battle, and it's usually in the place of our hope and our faith. And that's where the enemy tries to affect us. And that's why the Lord is saying we cannot afford to have weak Christians in the battle. We must have strong Christians. Strong warriors win the battle. Weak, but weak warriors get defeated. And just like this war, we must be strong. But look what it says in verse 10. Finally, be strong in our strength. No, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. And so the Lord is saying to this, when I want you to do this, and I want you to remember, there's a strong word for stand here. They say this, Paul at this time is chained to a Roman soldier. He's in the custody of the Roman government. He's been arrested and he's been taken away. And he's trying to get a presentation. He's trying to get a court case that where he can go before the leadership of Rome so that he can present the case of Christianity. And just like Jesus, Paul is taking in count of all the people around him and, and writing sermons. He's writing this letter to the church of Ephesus, and he's looking at this Roman soldier. And as he's talking to this Roman soldier, he's finding out something amazing about Roman soldiers. They have this mantra, there is no such thing as retreat. 
Never retreat, never give up an inch. And in fact, that was actually the Roman soldier's religion, to never, ever give up. I don't know if you remember when Pastor Ryan was talking, and you think about a Roman soldier standing there in sandals, but a Roman soldier's sandals had something different than other people's. They had these long cleats that would dig into the ground. And if you can imagine those medieval scenes that you could see from like a movie, right? There'd be one army on one hill and another army on another hill, and then they meet right in the field. But the Roman soldiers would dig down in the dirt and hold up their shields, and then, you know, the enemy comes and clashes against them. But the Roman soldier would say, we ain't given up an inch. As Christians, that is the heart that we should have. We should never want to give an inch to the enemy because the battle belongs to the Lord. This was very famous in Julius Caesar when he showed up on the shores of England. He had to fight his way onto the beachhead. But once he conquered those initial Celtic warriors on the beachhead, does anybody know what the first thing he did after that? He burned the ships. That's where we get, burn the ships. You know, that famous statement comes from Julius Caesar. And he was saying to his army, there is no going back. The old ways are gone. We are only taking ground or defending ground from this point on. We will have victory because there is no other hope. Just think about this. For us as Christians, is there anything, is there any other hope other than Jesus Christ? There is no going back to the old way. There is only forward and progress in Christ. And so we are going to take ground. We're definitely not going to lose it. And as our series comes to a close, I want to remind you, as you look at the, the title of the thing, it says here, sit, walk, and stand. The Bible, or sorry, this book actually opened with us sitting with Christ in heavenly places. That should elevate what you think of who you are. Just think about this. The Bible described us the moment that we were saved, we were seated, past tense, already seated with Christ in heavenly places. So when the Lord looks at me, when the Lord looks at you, there's a, how are you doing today spiritually? He just looks past Jesus Christ who's seated at his right and he sees you seated in heavenly places. That should automatically change, one, how you value yourself, but that should also change how you conduct yourself. Just think about this. If you know for a fact that spiritually you are seated in heavenly places, you are seated in the throne room of God, what are you not dragging into the throne room of God today? What are you leaving behind? A couple of TV shows? Maybe some lifestyle choices? Maybe some things on the internet? Maybe some conversation? Maybe even some thoughts? I'm putting those away because I'm not going to drag that in front of Jesus Christ because we are now elevating our lives. What's here on this world, what's permissible in this world is not permissible in heaven because we are in the presence of a king. And we should know that as princes and princesses of the royal priesthood, we are now elevated to a new walk. And in thus being that way, we walk in love and light. Why? Because we are children of the God of light. And so the Bible, or once again, the book of Ephesians moves from walk to, to uh, sorry, from sit to walk. And the walk is to be this way. The love and light that we experience from Christ directly is how we are to conduct ourselves in this church. We are supposed to bring love and light into the sanctuary. The Bible is very clear on how we are to be as Christians in church, how we are to be in our marriages. We are to bring the love and light that we receive from Christ in heavenly places into our marriages, into our parenthood, into our workplaces. It is all applicable. But then the Bible says that same power of love and light that is in your life that brings you success through peace is also the success that's going to bring you in war because you are to turn and stand and face the enemy. Let's go back through the scripture. And I want you to focus on that word stand. 
I want you to see it finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power, right? Look where it says here next. It says, therefore, put on the full armor of God so that, verse 13, so that the day of evil comes that you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything, that means gone through the war, stand. Verse 14, stand firm then with the belt of truth. And it goes right into the armor of God. And so God's goal for you is not to avoid war, but to go through war and to be the only one left standing. You hear God's call for your world? The enemy will be defeated. The enemy will be reduced to rubble. And he prays, and his faith for you is, is that you stand, trawl, stand tall at that moment. But who? In his power, not your own power. So this is where we're walking in our life. There's a man who, uh, just check out this name. There's a man in China who wrote this book called Sit, Walk, and Stand. His, his name was Watchman Nee. Isn't that a great Christian name? I just got Joey Everington. Watchman Nee has got... That's just got a power to it. And he wrote this brief explanation of the church of Ephesus. Um, and he also wrote, you know, just this thread of seeing that you need to sit, walk, and stand. But also he noticed this one thing. And he said that all, the, all of the book of Ephesians comes down to this, full reliance on the Lord. The armor is of the Lord. The sword of the spirit is of the Lord. The battle belongs to the Lord. In fact, he would say this, it's applicable in every way, but every ounce of success and survival and victory in the battle belongs to God. So what we do is we don't go into the battle to win or fail in our power. We lean our weakness against God's strength. Just think about this. No matter how capable or competent you think you are, you take your weakness and you put it inside of God's strength and you know you'll have victory. You can also say this, it doesn't matter, have you ever had these moments, and I, and I love to say this, have you ever gone through a struggle and you've just been hanging by a string of faith? I'm talking less than a fish string, right? And you're hanging by a string of faith and then you come out on the other side and everybody's like, oh, it was great. And you're like, yes, I was praying real hard and God and I were faithful and I know we would be victorious. But what we don't see, but God sees, is all those nights where you couldn't sleep because your gut was wrenched or the tears soaked the pillow, right? Or you just had no hopelessness and you cried out to God. I've had the nights. Am I the only one that's waffled in my faith? Or is it three? Thank you. One back there is joining me in this. But you stand before the Lord and you say, it was, I'm not here because of my faithfulness. I'm here because of your faithfulness, God. And that's why we focus the armor of God back on God. Let's look back at verse 16. Remind you, Pastor Ryan went through the first three. We're going to go through the last three pieces of armor. Look at verse 16. It says, in addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So just a reminder, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. So therefore, the armory should not be of this world. Flesh and blood cannot solve our problems. And that's why I believe we have a lot of exhausted Christians because they don't go to the Lord until they've reached rock bottom of their energy reserves. And then they finally go, okay, Lord, we're here now. Let's pray. And the Lord's like, you've been in the battle for a long time. I've been offering you the equipment just to let you know that supernatural weapons is the only thing that's going to overcome the natural. Listen to the word. Supernatural must overcome the natural. Just think about this. Think about all the conflicts that are in the world. 
And sometimes you can turn on the news or you can listen to a TED Talk or maybe just someone who's an expert. Have you ever heard somebody come up with a great plan and you're like, that would be great. If we all just did that thing, all of this would be fixed, but it's never been fixed. Let me give you a case in point. In 2,000 years, have we had peace in the Middle East? How many great minds have circled this event? How many great minds have tried to bring in political persuasion or, or plans or, or peace, but they cannot because the battle cannot be solved by flesh and blood. It's a spiritual problem. And the stronghold is there. And so we have to just say this. You know, when Jesus was led into the wilderness to be tempted, right? Um, it actually, this word tempted, it's kind of an interesting word through uh, history. The word kind of comes out of this word tempted. If I was standing in front of you with armor, as you were attacking me, you would be tempted to go where there was no armor, right? You would try, you know you can't hit the breastplate, you know you can't hit the helmet, but there might be some weak points. Some would call it like a chink in the armor. And that is where I am tempted to aim my attack. And when Jesus went into the wilderness, he was tempted, right? But did he fail? No. Why? Because he was completely armed with the power and the presence and the wisdom and the word of the Lord. And so what we have to do is focus on that particular place in our armor. Look at the shield of faith. Did you know that um, when you, you see the today, you can see people doing these protests. I don't know if you turn on the news, watch international news. You see like the, the, the police going down the alleyway or the street, right? And then there's all these protesters throwing stuff at the cops, right? And then sometimes they'll do something like a Molotov cocktail. You ever seen that where they light a bottle and they put a little cloth and they, they, they light it up and they throw it and it raises up the shield, right? You see the police raise up the shield and then the shield's engulfed in flames even though the police is not. This is kind of a similar thought. The enemy in Rome's time, in Paul's time, would actually take little tiny spears and they would dip it in pitch or tar. And then they would wrap cloth around it so it would be soaked in this and then they would light it and then they would throw it at the Romans. Now, I thought at this time, Roman soldiers all had like in the movies these really cool like brass or gold, you know, shields, right? And they would shine in the sun and they would be gleaming. But for defense, the Roman soldiers actually learned this. They would take big wooden shields, but they would be soft wood. And I didn't know this was a true thing, but when the wood would be hit by these fiery darts, the wood was so soft and it would soak up the pitch and tar and it actually would extinguish the flame. And so the soldiers knew no matter what was happening in front of them, they were safe behind the shield. In this particular way, this is what Isaiah would say in Isaiah 7, 9. If you don't, look at the word again, if you don't stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. What the Lord is saying is, you might not have faith in yourself, but the faith that you have in me should swallow up all fear, should swallow up all unbelief. Remember the father whose son was throwing himself in the fire, was demon-possessed, was throwing him in the water? He said to Jesus, I believe, but help me in my unbelief. In truth, what he was saying is, I don't have enough faith, but Jesus, I know you're faithful. I know that you're powerful. And that's who we should be. We should get behind our faith, and our faith should be not in ourselves, not in our performance, but in God's performance. Just think about this. All of us who believe in Jesus Christ are not going to hell because God is faithful and God is powerful enough. That is the faith that we stand behind. And so no matter what I'm dealing with, that thing has to deal with Jesus Christ. 
no matter what I'm facing, I stand behind Jesus Christ and say, Lord, not in my power, but in your power. And that is the way that I conduct myself. It's not about me. It's not about my goodness. It's about his goodness, which leads us right into our next piece of armor, the helmet of salvation. And I love this one because this one can be kind of like a really simplified way of looking at things, but I want you to see how simple your protection can be inside of your salvation. I know that in years past, I've got into something called apologetics. Some of you guys know this. Not, apologetics is not apologizing for being a great Christian. Apologetics is the defending of your faith through logic and reason, right? So sometimes you can get lost in a conversation. You ever get lost in a conversation with another Christian who maybe goes to a different church and maybe believes in something that you don't believe in, right? Like, of course you can pray to Mary. Or, of course, Joseph Smith had golden tablets that, you know, all these things. And then by the end of it, like, they challenge you and they, they go into the Word and they fight you in these things. And then at the end of it, you could get so twisted and turn around because you say, I don't know enough. Maybe I don't know if I'm actually saved. Maybe I'm not actually loved by God, or maybe I'm not doing the right thing, but I just want to let you know something. Not one of us have earned heaven. Christ left heaven and came and found you. In fact, this is how I know my salvation is intact. While I was still a sinner, Christ died for me. Christ died for you. Just think about this. It wasn't us who found Christ. Christ found us. And in this particular place, salvation wasn't mine to earn, so therefore salvation wasn't mine to lose. Only God could provide salvation, and who's going to steal it out of his hands? That is the simplified place of the Bible. And notice where the armor goes. On your head. So when you are thinking about your starting point with Jesus Christ, it's this particular place. Christ loved you so much that he died for you so that you could live his life. He died your death so that you could live his life. This was of his choosing, and this is his gift to you. And so therefore, I'm eternally saved because I have the love of God and I have his eternal salvation. I like how Romans 8 says this. Look how wonderful it is. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. I want you to think of how powerful this, this scripture is. He's saying these words. It doesn't matter what the enemy's doing. This is what Jesus Christ is doing. First, he's calling you by name. Isn't that amazing? From the, from the seat of heaven going, you just put in your name. For me, it'll be Joey. Joey, I've called you. Okay, Lord, I hear you. And now I've justified you because you're not good enough. And so I've wiped out your ledger. I've wiped out your sin. I have justified you. Thank you, Lord. I'm not going to hell. Amazing. That's incredible. But he doesn't stop there. What does he do next? He pours out his glory. I want to ask you this question. When you sit and think about Jesus Christ, how wonderful is his glory? And I don't just mean like by the way that we know him here in church and we sing the songs like Jesus Christ is sitting on a throne in heaven and you enter into the throne room how powerful is his glory? And then look at the next verse inside of that power. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Who is going to steal you out of the hand of Jesus Christ? Whose grip is more powerful than the love of Jesus Christ? Can Satan do it? No. Can any force in this world beat the creator of heaven and earth who has now claimed you by name, justified you, restored you, and then poured his glory into you? 
That is why I can say this, no matter what battle I'm facing, that battle has to face the Lord. Now, I want to let you know, this is all well and good. We heard a lot of pieces of armor that were meant for defense. But if any of you are a sports fan, what's the best defense? A good? Yes, my football fan's in the room. Now we finally get to go on the attack, right? It has been all defense up to this point. Now we move to the sword of the spirit. Now, remember, Paul is chained to a Roman soldier, and he's looking at his equipment, and he's looking at a specific kind of sword. And this sword that he was looking at was kind of a sword that was shorter and broader. So if you think of like, um, like a medieval sword, like with a knight, or a samurai with a long sword, this was like a, a long sword with one side. No, this was a short, broad sword. It was actually really wide and heavy, and it actually had two blades on both sides. And I want to let you know why I think this is so important. One, it's for close quarter combat. So that means as the enemy comes close, you would hack at the enemy close quarters. The second thing is they would actually call the swing of the sword, it would keep you honest. Because the blade, as much as it can mow down the enemy, if you don't swing it honestly back, it can cut you. There is no more powerful word in this world that can cut both enemy and its swinger than the word of the Lord. And so I just want to let you know that the Bible keeps us honest as much as it keeps Satan honest. But remember, it keeps Satan at a distance. And so I want you to know um, that it's kind of interesting, too, if you want to know what the shape and size of this Roman sword was, it was actually about this big. So when you understand that when you go into battle, you don't go into battle with something that is dull. You don't go into battle with something that is ineffective. You go into battle with the very thing that Jesus Christ used to defeat Satan. Remember when he goes in Luke chapter 4 into the wilderness and he challenges Satan? Remember, Satan knows the word, right? Satan, and he challenged Jesus by mixing the word and some lies together. But Jesus would hit G Satan right and square in the face with a sharp word. And the sharp word is, did you not read the Bible? Did you not read the word three times he said this? In fact, in Revelations 1.16, I want you to see how powerful the word of the Lord is. You can see it on the screen. It says, in his right hand he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp, double-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining in all of its brilliance. It's amazing to me when you think about this, that the word of the Lord is so powerful to the point that Satan didn't even have a response. Remember, he was trying to tempt Jesus Christ in the wilderness, and so the Lord hit him with, hey, don't you know what the Bible says? And Satan had to just sit there and be like, okay, next subject. I mean, like he didn't have anywhere to go. He had no place to go. He was defeated. And by the third time, what did he do? Slinked off onto the shadows, right? Because he had been defeated. You have to understand that the spirit of the Lord and the word of the Lord comes by the wisdom of the Lord. This is your greatest weapon. But I want to let you know something. Using scripture by itself is not good enough. I want you to look at the scripture again. What is it? It is the sword of the? We cannot handle scripture alone. We cannot just take the Bible and throw it at the enemy. We must ask the Lord, how do you want me to use your sword? It is the sword of the spirit. It's not the sword of Joey. And so that when we go on the offensive, we must actually be in prayer. Lord, where and how should I use the scripture? Because I want to let you know, can man use scripture in the wrong way? 
Just look around, don't just look around the world, look around Sebastian. Should we have so many different denominations and different sects of Christianity if it wasn't for man selfishly using the word in the way that he wants to? It's not the sword of the flesh. It's not the sword of Joey. It's the sword of the spirit. And so we cannot engage in a natural way. We must engage in a supernatural way, which is why in 2 Corinthians, look on the screen, chapter 10, it says this word. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. I'm going to stop right there because I feel an impression on me from the Spirit. If you are in this room and you've been going through something and you have been in a stronghold, you've been in a place where you've been losing the battle, I want you to understand one thing. You do not go into that battle alone. You do not go into that battle by yourself. You go with the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. I want you to hear what the contrary is. We do not fight with weapons of the world. Look, on the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. No matter what the enemy has been telling you, look at verse 5. We demolish arguments. That's in your head. That's what you're fighting against with the enemy. And every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. The sword of the Spirit is part of a warfare that cannot be won in the flesh. And so therefore, we must engage the enemy not by ourselves, but with the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. We are not alone. Today, if you are in this room, I'm going to encourage you after service to stay behind and let us pray with you in the Spirit to defeat the enemy that has come to ravage what the Lord has blessed you with. All of this comes in mind. All of this armor comes to this particular place. Do you realize that in putting on the whole armor, we've been putting on all the aspects and attributes of Jesus Christ? Look at the screen. We're going to go back through the armor, but we're going to call it Jesus Christ at this time. Think about everything that we've talked about in all pieces of armor. Who is our truth? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is our truth. He's our son. He's our center. He's our shield. He's our everything. Am I good enough to get to heaven? No. Are you good enough to get to heaven? But who is our righteousness? Jesus. Do you know any time that I've been in a battle, I have said to the Lord, I just want to turn and run. But who has kept me there? The peace of Jesus Christ. You know, I don't even have enough faith to follow Jesus Christ. He says, that's okay. I will be your author and the perfecter of your faith. Put on me. My salvation comes from the Lord. It is not mine. It is his. And so therefore, it is not mine to lose. And also, Jesus is our word of the spirit. When I go on the offensive, I go on the offensive in the name of Jesus Christ. Do you know that even the name of Jesus Christ makes demons flee? That's just his name. Imagine when he shows up. Jesus is applicable and valuable and successful in every battle we face because you have to understand this. The complete covering and defense and offense that you have comes from the Lord. And so we are not armed with any kind of formula or knowledge. We're armed with a relationship and love of Jesus Christ. And just think about this. As Jesus Christ was not vulnerable in the wilderness, neither will be us, but we must put on the Holy Spirit. We must put on Jesus Christ. And so we must walk this walk. 
We must be warriors for the Lord. We must be strong warriors in the word and in the presence of God. So God loves his warriors to be armed. Now we're going to see he loves his warriors to be awake. Look at verse 18. And pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for the Lord's people. In medieval times, soldiers were never able to fall asleep on the watch because what would happen if they did? Anybody know? Now you see a couple of you. Yeah, why? Because you are the most vulnerable part of the army at that point. There's a famous castle in Kyoto, Japan, uh, that they did something very awesome. They had an impenetrable, impenetrable fortress, right? You could not get in. But they also had ninjas, so that was a big problem. So they did something fantastic. They installed nothing but creaky wood all over the castle. So that was like, look, ninjas are real. They're a problem. We're probably not going to make it through the night unless we have sentries and we have this creaky wood. And only one time did the castle fall, and that's when the soldiers fell asleep all night. And the ninjas scaled the walls, got inside, and made it pass. I just want to just let you know, how many times have you been asleep at the battle? The Lord is saying, pray on some occasions or on all occasions. I want you to know the greatest defense that we can have in battle, the greatest way that we can see the enemy coming, the greatest way that we can stay awake, really ironically, is by closing our eyes and getting on our knees and praying. The Lord is saying, I want you to remain alert at all times, but you must pray in the spirit on all occasions, which means in good times and bad times. And I want to let you know if you're in a good season, because those of you that are in a bad season, you're probably already praying. I want you to think about David. When he was living at rough in the caves of Israel, right? Saul was coming to kill him. This guy was on fire for the Lord, right? Because he could die at any turn. He knows he's anointed to be king, but what's he doing in the caves of, of Israel? Praying and writing the book of Psalms. We have the book of Psalms because his life was rough. And what was he doing? He was calling out to God. So he was already driven to prayer. But when did he need prayer the most? When he had already conquered the physical enemy, when he had pushed the borders of Israel. And now he's a rich king, right? And now what is he doing? I have enough soldiers and I have enough army. They go, you stay at home, eat and drink and go out. And that's when he should have mostly been praying. But instead he went to the roof and started watching naked ladies bathe. But if he had been on his knees praying, the Lord would have alerted him. He would have been praying in the spirit, and he would have had a defense for the spiritual temptation that was on its way. So you must pray on all occasions. And when you hear that word, you should hear it in good times and in bad. In fact, and I would say this, if you are going through a good season, maybe you should pray even more. Satan hits a brick wall when he meets a praying Christian who's alert and sober and praying for God's people. And so we should be this kind of a person. We should be the awake person. Now, it also says this, pray in the spirit. And we don't have time to fully go through this, but I want to let you know some practical things about praying in the spirit and not praying in the flesh. Praying in the spirit means prayers of preparation. To be alert, right? We want to pray before trouble, not after trouble. We want to pray before the war, not after the war, right? And so what we want to do is we want to be the person who stands guard over our family, who stands guard over our marriage, who stands guard over this church. This is not my church. This is your church. We should be praying for all of us. We should be sober-minded and at the ready. We should also be praying our words in the spirit. 
You know, I've taken to doing this now. This is something new that I've started probably in the last year and a half. I have an extensive prayer list. Anytime one of you guys come up to me and say, hey, Joey, will you pray with me? I run as fast as I can to my computer, and I write down whatever that prayer request is so I don't forget, because I'll forget it. There's so many prayer requests at this point. And so what I do is I can't pray all of these prayer requests now because it's such an extensive list. Um, I would be there all day. I wouldn't get anything done. So I put my hand on the prayer list, and I say, Lord, what do you want to pray about today? And it always gives me goosebumps, and it shouldn't. A year and a half later, 18 months later, I shouldn't get goosebumps this high, and I shouldn't be so excited when the phone rings two hours later after my prayer, and someone goes, hey, Joey, I just want to let you know that thing that we were praying for, I went to the doctor, and the Holy Spirit met me there. I was shaking like a leaf. I was sweating profusely, and the doctor walked in, and the peace of the Lord came on me, and they delivered a clean bill of health. Thank you for praying with me. And I go, what time was that? And they go, 8.30, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, that was right when I was praying for you. That's amazing. But I would not have achieved that because if it was up to me, I would get up in the morning and be like, dear Lord, I'm praying for a Lamborghini. I hope I get it. But no, that's praying in the flesh. But the Holy Spirit had a whole nother plan. He said, Joey, we're going to the front lines. We're going to pray together. We have spiritual battle that we have to enter. We have somebody that we need to pray for together. So I invite the Holy Spirit into my prayers, and I go, you lead, Holy Spirit. But then also as we pray for others, I want to let you know something. It kind of puts in perspective where you stand in the kingdom of God. It puts in perspective that worrying for yourself can really belay what God is doing in your life if all you're doing is focusing on your problems and not focusing on the progress that the Lord is exacting in your life through you and around you. This is so important that we are not only Christians that are armed, that we are Christians that are awake. And now we're going to see what the Lord loves. He loves soldiers that are also brave. Look at verse 19 with me. He says, pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fiercely make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. I want to let you know something. I, I, I was reading a diary of a gentleman. I think he was in World War I. And uh, he wrote this thing, and it was kind of, it's kind of funny, kind of sad. He said, I was praying for God to keep me safe through all the battles. But as they were shooting bullets, he realized, I'm praying for all the bullets to go around me. That means they're going and hitting everybody else. And so he goes, that's kind of a selfish prayer to be praying in the middle of a battle. So I stopped praying for safety, and I started praying for courage. I started praying that God would give me the courage and the boldness to do what that he's asked me to do. And he said, eventually, he got captured by the enemy. And while he was captured by the enemy, he was near fellow soldiers. He's also near enemy soldiers. And what did he do during that prayer time? He said, Lord, what do you want me to do? I've been here. You put me in this position. What did you want me to do? His Lord said, start speaking the words I give you. And so he started speaking the words, everything the Holy Spirit gave him. The people in that camp started giving their hearts to the Lord, not only the fellow soldiers, but the enemy soldiers. New brothers and sisters in Christ that were lost in the flesh are now gained in the spirit. Why? Because the person listen to the Holy Spirit. Do I want to let you know something? It's important for you guys to pray for your pastors. And I don't mean this selfishly. There's a lot of spiritual warfare that takes place on the way up to this pulpit and on the way out of this pulpit. I would say this. If Lucifer were to show up here with all of his enemy forces, right? Could we defeat him physically? Could the United States Army defeat him? I actually had a, a student say this the other day. It was really awesome. I said, hey, you know, the enemy could be here at any time. And I got a tap on the shoulder and he's like, hey, Pastor Joey, I just took my black belt test and I passed. So 
if you need me to go out there. I said, no, sir. That's not, the kind of, that's not the kind of fight that we're entering into. But I just want you to know it's important for us to be praying for each other for the boldness. Husbands, you should be praying for your wives. Wives, you should be praying for your husbands. Parents, you should be praying for your children. Children, you should be praying for your parents. Here's a novel thought. You know, after the service, if you remain here and you need somebody to pray for you, We'll have a prayer team. You should be praying for the prayer team. Isn't that a novel thought? As we're getting up and leaving here and going over to Country Ham and Egg, there are some people that'll be remaining hide and fighting spiritual war. There'll be people in here crying. There'll be people with lives that are falling apart. And yet we need those people that are praying to be prayed for so that they remain strong. Consider this. If we were to pull back the veneer of what is standing between us and the spiritual realm, how violent do you think the enemy is in his attack? How strong then do we need to be our prayer in the Holy Spirit? This is what the Lord wants. He wants people that are armed. He wants people that are awake. He wants people that are brave. And now we finally close verse 21. I'm going to say it this way because I think it's the fun way to say it. Tychicus. I think that's a great Christian name too. Tychicus, the dear brother and faithful servant in the Lord, will tell you everything so that you may know how I am and what I am doing. I'm sending him to you for this very purpose that you may know how we are so that we may encourage you. Now, verse 23, I want you to focus the end of the scripture. Peace to the brothers and sisters and the love with faith from the God, of Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. You know, Paul began the book of Ephesians with grace and peace. Grace and peace to you, my brothers and sisters. And how does he end it? Peace and grace. It's a great bookend. He's really good. But what he's really doing, he's calling on all of us in a particular way. He's writing to a world. He's writing to a church that was kind of culturally split. There was the Jewish people that had given their hearts to the Lord, and then there was the Gentiles who had given their heart to the Lord, right? And as they had given their heart to the Lord, they would say to each other, a Jewish person would say, Shalom, peace, peace to you, my brother. And the Christians, the Gentile Christians, took up the saying, grace to you, my brother. And look how he closes it. Peace to my brothers and sisters and grace to all those who love Lord Jesus Christ. What he's saying is no matter where you started, this is where you have ended. You are all conscripted into the army of God. We are fighting for one love of one king and one country, and that is Jesus Christ and his kingdom. Which just brings us to the very end of that verse. Look what it says, and I'm putting it on the screen. All we have belongs to Christ and his undying love. Just think about this. If you're in a battle and you think you're losing and you're not sure what you might, lo- might lose, might be lost forever, understand this, that when you entered into God's love, your soul was his forever. All that is good in your life belongs to the Lord. Our bodies might die, but we live eternity. Let me put it in this particular way. If I live for Christ, I live for Christ. And if I die today, I live for Christ eternally. Everything that we have, we should not look in a frame of mind that we lose or win. We should look in this frame in the battle. The battle belongs to the Lord and he is our victory. In the Victorian era, there was a lot of people who were really kind of great men and women of the Bible and they would... uh, give their heart to the Lord and then live this grateful life. And then inevitably on their deathbed, somebody from their church or a pastor would come and visit them and they would say, is there anything that I need to pray for you? Is there anything that we need to work on right before you pass? And they had this kind of a statement that they would all say, they would say this, Jesus loves me. 
and I love Jesus, where else could I be? You know what they're saying? I am caught up in the victory of Christ's love that he won on the cross. And because he has been resurrected, that same power now dwells in me. I will eternally and forever belong to Jesus. There is no loss. There is no failure. There is no defeat. There is no giving an inch. There is no retreat. There is only Jesus Christ. Today, you have that opportunity to speak the name of Jesus Christ to all that you have. So in final prayer, we say this. Lord, thank you for being our victory. Thank you for being our kindness. Thank you for being our compassion. Thank you for the mercy that you pour on me every day. But more importantly, thank you for being my father, my savior, my friend. I love you, Lord, and I'll follow you all my days. In Jesus' holy name, amen.